You're listening to Louisiana Insider, a superlative guide to a great state's destinations. Hosted by Errol Laborde, executive editor of Louisiana Life Magazine. It's not Louisiana song. It's my favorite melody. It's not Louisiana song. Hearing it echo through the cypress trees. Well, Louisiana and Mississippi and the relationship between the two is going to be the topic of the show. There's a documentary that Louisiana Public Broadcasting did uh, called Why Louisiana Ain't Mississippi or Any Other Place. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a fun documentary. And with me are two people who were uh, involved with it. One is Jay Darden. Now, the poor guy, is, uh, I mean, it's, it's too bad he, he never got fired up about ambition or something. All he's been in his career is a, uh, a member of the Baton Rouge Council, a state senator, lieutenant governor for two terms, um, secretary of state. Uh, if Louisiana had an emperor, he would have probably been that by now. And lately, he's been the commissioner of administration for the John Bell Edwards administration. And then, on all thought, you know, he said, well, I ain't got much to do. He created a, a three-hour PowerPoint on this topic about, about Louisiana and, and about the things that are, 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 are unique to Louisiana. Not to be outdone is Linda Midget, uh, who's a, a former guest on this show because of some of the documentaries that she's produced on the LPB. Uh, they did one, uh, some really great stuff about the Green Book, which was a uh, publication that was done, I guess, what, in the, the, um, the 50s when people were starting to travel more. It was directed at Black travelers about places that they can stay. And then they also did a, a documentary about Black churches, which was really, really, uh, really good. And she's won uh, uh, an Emmy and just all kind of credentials. So, Linda, thank you very much. And thank you both for, uh, for being back. Jay, let's begin by you, with you telling us about this project and where it started and, and what you've done with this. Errol, you may remember this guy, a, a gentleman named Jerry Doty was a lobbyist and a political consultant, a raconteur, a demographer. And um, I worked for Jerry for one year when I was about to go to law school and I became his attorney and he became my first political consultant. He did a presentation about Louisiana that was focused on Louisiana's economy and to some extent its demography. And I'd enjoyed that presentation. And uh, as he grew older and was unable to do it anymore, and I told him when he was gone, I'd like to kind of pick up on that theme. He used to have a big magnetic board and he had the parishes cut out and manufactured that were ma magnetic. He would slap them up on that board by various sections and talk about how the geography and the economy of the state uh, was different in different parts of the state. It was just real fascinating to me. And that got me interested in this. And when Jerry passed away, I decided to kind of pick up the mantle of that presentation. 
got rid of the magnetic board, replaced it with a PowerPoint, created Why Louisiana Ain't Mississippi. And I've done that presentation. It's, about, it's a three-hour PowerPoint for a number of years. And I've always wanted to, to consider making it a show or writing a book or something. And Linda and I had a chance to meet. I talked to Beth Courtney before she retired at LPB, and they were very excited about the concept. And so uh, a little over a year ago, Linda and I met and, and gave birth to Why Louisiana Ain't Mississippi, and we added or any place else to make it very clear this is not a put down of Mississippi and it's not a comparison between the states. It's about, it could be called why Louisiana ain't Montana or Missouri or North Carolina. It's, it's why Louisiana is unique among the 50 states. Well, it's kind of a fun tease to kind of compare it to Mississippi. It is. I mean, you know, we, um, on this magnetic board, do they have a problem with uh, St. Mary Paris, which is divided in two already, so. He, he had it, it was clustered by various geographic regions, but they weren't the regions that I wanted to divide the state by. So I had to scuttle the magnetic board and, and come into the, the new century actually and create a PowerPoint instead of lugging that big thing around. So people that could be conferences and people would go and they listen to your, uh, uh, your presentation and. Yeah, do it for Cable's leadership class and do it uh -huh. for conventions or for corporate meetings, whatever the case may be, whoever, whoever wants me to do it. Yeah. I think that's great for somebody in public life to also have this kind of interest in the state, uh, to know the, the stories and the anecdotes and, and, and then to be more than just someone involved in a political thing. I think it's, really, it's a good thing that you're doing that. Well, you know, it dovetailed into both my jobs as Secretary of State and Lieutenant Governor. And so it became kind of a part of what I, what I did it, in that regard as well. Okay, so Linda, tell us about Louisiana Public Broadcasting's effort on this and, and, and what the final product is going to be or is. Yeah, so, um, you know, I first saw Jay give this presentation um, probably about a year and a half ago uh, when he was presenting it at the Cable Leadership Conference, and um, I was just really excited about it. Um, I'm a North Carolina girl. Um, was born and raised there. So for me, it was just a great, um, it helped me understand really the state that I live in. My husband's from Louisiana, but um, it, it still answered a lot of questions in my mind about, uh, about who people are and kind of how the culture was created here. But I was also really fascinated to see that a lot of natives of Louisiana were so enthusiastic about the program when they watched it. And so um, that reaction just really showed me that this is something that we needed to be doing um, here at LPB. So Jay and I sat down and, and hashed out our game plan, and um, we came up with a four-hour series, and um, it is airing two hours a night, so December 11th, the first episode is two hours, and then December 12th, the second episode is two hours and it's just a really, it's a great adaptation of his presentation. So it does differ from his presentation. Um, we expanded certain sections. Um, you know, when Jay does the presentation, it's just him speaking. Um, this is not that. We have interviewed a lot of amazing people. We have um, Richard Campanella, who's a really uh, fascinating historian and geographer. We have, uh, James Burton, the musician. We have Jimmy Swaggart. We interviewed Richard Lipsy. Um, I could go on, and I'm sure we'll talk about uh, Irma Thomas. Like, there's just a lot of people that we sat down with. James Carvel, also another big person. So 
we really fleshed out the content in a way to make it um, just fun and entertaining for television. And we have an enormous amount of music in this as well. And you've brought in people to, uh, to help with the writing and you, and you reenact some of the scenes and uh, you do big production and you have visual aspect with, with, with William Joyce that you brought in. I mean, it sounds like a, a really big production. It's a massive production, I will tell you. Um, it's one of those productions that you realize, um, I think I realized belatedly, wow, this was really ambitious. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm so proud of it because, um, you know, the show is really, I think of, of a very interesting and entertaining mix of various styles. Like we call it a documentary, but, you know, we have very traditional archives, archival footage and photographs that are sort of what you think of with the documentary. But we have these comedic recreations, which you just alluded to. Um, some of the historical sections, we, we cast and hired a group of Louisiana comedians to, um, to act out these recreations. So for example, we um, we have a very funny skit that is about the Louisiana Purchase. And so we have a woman actually who's playing the part of Napoleon. <laughs> it's, it's, quite, it's quite funny. So it's, you know, we just have a lot of unexpected humor in this. Um, Jay's original presentation uh, is funny. Jay has a good, really good sense of humor. And so we both felt like we wanted to just play up um, just the fun of this, so that this is overall a fun program. It does have very serious parts in it, obviously. Um, when you're talking about history, you're talking about enslavement, you're talking about things that, um, that uh, you know, are, are, are tough things to discuss. And so we handle that with great care. Um, but then we also celebrate sort of how Louisiana became the human gumbo that it is. Well, some of the topics in the nutshell cover like music, archeology, span uh, the the, the shadow, uh, Indian legacy, culture and politics. You talk about the JFK connection, and also the Atchafalaya. So let's try. Let's take a stab at a couple of these and and, and see them find out. Um, when you talk about the music in Louisiana, I mean, what an enormous expanse between New Orleans at one end with the jazz, and then the Cajun music, and then and then as you go up north, the uh, I guess the cross with the uh, uh, with the country music. So did anything come out of your experience? I mean, what in particular impression did you have in, in talking about Louisiana music? It's a big part of the presentation that I've done. Uh, the live presentation features a lot of music. And I think at last count, we have, we have close to, or maybe a little more than snippets of 60 songs, either about Louisiana or by Louisianans or both. Um, and in addition to that, we've created a, if I say we, I've kind of created a hundred song song list. It's kind of my favorites and also the ones that are in the show and then some others that uh, I think should be important. So we're going to have um, on the website, will be posted a, a Louisiana song list of a hundred songs to, to help uh, put it in perspective, the incredible contribution that Louisiana musicians have made to American music in multiple genres, as well as how New Orleans and Louisiana and Acadiana have been a target for well-known performers to sing about. And that's a, that's a big part of this story and a big part of Louisiana's legacy is the, the music and the impact that we have had on American music. Um, yeah, if you think about Southern music, the, um, with 
with, with Tennessee and the origin of country music and Louisiana with the origin of jazz, that's a pretty strong impact that they have. And then you have sub things like Cajun and Zydeco. I mean, um, it's really amazing what we produce. And then uh, I noticed that you, uh, um, one person you interviewed was a Reverend Jimmy Swagger. Uh, how's he doing, by the way? He's kind of, let's see, hanging in there. He's doing really well. Linda, you, you interviewed him and I was there, but t tell us, tell, uh, tell Errol about that. Yeah, you know, we had a great interview with him. Um, and I don't think that he's uh, done a public interview in a long time, but his health seemed really good. Um, we really focused on his days growing up in Faraday with uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and Mickey Gilley and talked about that family connection and how the music came about. Um, you know, it just, it was, it was, it was really fun. Honestly, I really enjoyed meeting him. Um, there were parts of it that were very emotional, um, you know, as he was thinking back on, um, you know, growing up with them. So it was really, um, I felt like it was a real honor to have a chance to sort of capture his story, especially with Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, who just recently passed and Mickey Gilley just recently passed. So um, I'm really pleased that we had this opportunity and could include him in the show. It's going to be a very poignant moment in the show because Mickey had died and he reflected on Mickey's death and he had just recorded with Jerry Lee a couple of months ago here in Baton Rouge. And so Jerry had not died yet. So it's, it's going to be very poignant with the show coming out so soon after their, both those deaths. He is the last one standing. He's in his early to mid 80s. I don't remember mm -hmm. the exact age, but he still performs. He's still at church every Sunday. He's probably, I don't know this for sure, but he's probably the largest selling uh, gospel artist in America. He just recorded his over 200th gospel album. You know, this, this reminds me of former, uh, another former Secretary of State, uh, Jim Brown, who was failing on this podcast. He tells a story that he began his law practice, Brown did, in Faraday. And as a young lawyer, right out of Valley Law School, his first day, he rented the storefront. He didn't have a secretary. It was just him at the desk waiting for a customer to come in. And the first person that walked in was Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, who needed help, like there was a relative who got arrested by the game warden or something, and so he needed help, and so that was his, that was his, uh, his first, bit of, uh, uh, first bit of business. On your list of Louisiana's, your favorite 100 song, what would like the first three be? Well, they're not in order on the list. They're alphabetized on the list. Okay. Uh, but when I was Secretary of State, I, I'm sorry, when I was Lieutenant Governor, I, I had to I had to do that because I, one of the things we created was uh, in March was uh, taking off on the, the uh, final four brackets. We created a bracket of 64 Louisiana songs to compete as to what was the most favorite Louisiana song. And we had the public weigh in on the internet and the, the ultimate winners were, the, they're at the top of my list anyway, Louisiana 1927 uh, by Randy Newman and the ultimate winner, You Are My Sunshine by Governor Jimmy Davis. And those were the, uh, those are two of my traditional favorite Louisiana songs. Certainly Colin Baton Rouge by Garth Brooks, not a native, but about Louisiana has, has hit the list. And then there's so many others that you can just try to compete them against, against each other on a bracket was a lot of fun. You know, it occurs to me as you talk about this, that I'm sure this is a, a record that Louisiana has had two songs written by, or I guess originated by two different governors. I mean, 
with You Are My Sunshine with Jimmy Davis, and of course Huey Long's Every Man a, Every Man a King. I'm just gonna say also, a Louisiana girl gave the name to the Grammy Award. That's something that's in the show as well. And in addition to a Louisiana naming the award, Louisiana has had at least one Grammy nominee every year since the Grammys came into existence in the late 50s, except two. Two years, for whatever reason, we didn't have a nominee, but every other year we've had at least one and usually multiple. In recent years, we've had as many as eight and 10 Grammy nominees a year. Um, so it, it's a, an incredible impact on, on the, the musical industry. And we also acknowledge that Louisiana created really one of the top all-time great figures in American music with Louis Armstrong. Absolutely. Uh, so the, um, you all looked into archaeology and in, uh, in, in Poverty Point. Um, that's pretty awesome with, you know, what Poverty Point was. I mean, I mean, there was a time when Poverty Point was like the center of the universe, or at least the North America in terms of travel and, uh, and trade. You know, Linda, what are some of your impressions of it? You know, I just, it was, it's actually the very first major shoot that we did for this project. And, um, you know, it was really fascinating learning how sophisticated um, this uh, group of people was who built uh, these mounds. Uh, scientists don't know and archeologists don't know exactly why they built the mounds. So it's all speculation, whether it was for uh, worshiping purposes or, you know, what exactly it was. But one of the things that that really struck with me was how, how well engineered it was that they actually took they took dirt from various sections and they mixed them like they had a recipe of dirt that they created their own recipe so that the mounds would be uh, more stable and long lasting which obviously the fact that they're still here all these years later um, would suggest they really knew what they were doing and were very sophisticated. So it was, uh, I just think it's a really, it's a great educational aspect to the, to the program, learning about the people who were the first, you know, they were the first Louisianians before there was the Louisiana. Yeah. Uh, and the, in those mounds, what they, they go back to around the time maybe of the, the pyramids. I mean, I mean, they're really ancient. Okay? Yeah. And when we talk about, you know, the Louisiana Indians, the, the Homa and the Cushata, those were many, many, many generations later and, and, and not connected and see that culture before, uh, before this, um, this other culture evolved. And, and, and it, dis it disappeared. It, it, I don't think they know for sure exactly what happened, which is sort of not uncommon. You see the same thing with the Mayans. I mean, you see this with other right. cultures. They were out there and all of a sudden they went away. Yeah. And it had to do with agriculture or water or, who knows what? Um, I don't think it had anything to do with UFOs, which people sometimes say, but, the, but, but those kind of things happen. Um, and you also. Yeah, I, I will say this the, the Native Americans really are, they were the foundation of Louisiana. And um, we, we explored that not just through Poverty Point, and then we, we actually did a, a filmed a powwow with the Cushata tribe. But, um, you know, just there are some other references as we use gumbo as a metaphor. <laughs> Um, a very apt metaphor throughout the whole series. We talk about the contributions that Native Americans have made to gumbo that people don't normally think of, of sassafras, which is what is ground into filet, and um, the 
um, just even the stock that we use in gumbo that, you know, originally that was, you know, back in the day that would have been just straight out of the Mississippi, you know, which was seasoned with its own salt, <laughs> it had its own seasoning. So, you know, I just, I, it's, it's was really uh, a pleasure to go through and sort of pull these uh, threads out that people may not think about. The, um, I want to talk about the culture and politics. Yeah, I know you had a segment on that. Before that, though, I want to call upon Kelly, uh, who left a little segment called This or That. And she has these questions, and there's, a, there's no right or wrong answers, all right? Uh, we, we, uh, we won't be grading it, but y'all just say what you want, okay? So, Kelly? Well, there might be a wrong answer. We'll, we'll be the judge of that. Okay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's going to be a little bit of um, a Mississippi-Louisiana type of battle, essentially. So our first one, this or that, is food-related, obviously. Your favorite sandwich, a muffalata or a pig ear sandwich? That's the Mississippi version. We don't... We don't... Muffalata. <laughs> yeah, I got to say a muffalata. Maybe <laughs> so, I'll experience a pig ear sandwich. Um... Apparently it's big around Jackson. It's uh, it's an old Southern I'm country. Sure, it's good, and, I, and yeah. I wouldn't turn it away. But having to pick, I say, like, oh, <laughs> well, I might take a bite. I don't know if I, uh, I might turn it around. Okay, Kelly. I might turn it away. I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to see how it's prepared. <laughs> okay. So, song about a capital city, Jackson by Johnny Cash or Colin Baton Rouge by Garth Brooks. I'm already declared <laughs> Colin Baton Rouge. There you go. You know, this is, um, I feel like, yeah, this is a tough one because I really love Johnny Cash. And so, um, and I love Garth Brooks. I might love Johnny, Johnny Cash even more though. So, Jackson, it's um, okay. <laughs> I know, I, I think I might have to just, I think I might do Jackson just um, just to be contrary. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I give Jackson because of June Carter in it, okay? And the parts when she just kind of burst into it, man, she's really, she's really just good. On the other hand, did you all go to the uh, the Garth Brooks concert at LSU? Uh, oh yes. Yeah, and the story is, I guess you all have heard it, that, that when he sang "Calling Back Rouge," that somebody, one of the professors, that they had the instrument that measures seismic activities, and the and the ground shook it with equal to a a first level. Uh, Earthquake. That must, that must have really been something. That's in the show. <laughs> That's in the show. Yeah. The uh, yeah, it's quite the song. So the uh, and both of them actually really have nothing to do with Baton Rouge or Jackson. They're both about the same old story about men and women in their relationship. Okay, with <laughs> so true. Right. Uh, <laughs> just uh, in different settings. Okay. Okay. We, we claim it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, <they're> both- <laughs> They're both powerful, powerful songs. I mean, I mean there's no doubt. And Garth Brooks says that's his favorite song uh, of all some. Uh, and they use that for the bumps at the LSU game, don't they? Like whenever there's some oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Beginning of the fourth quarter, usually. Yeah. Everybody fired up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay uh, I'm sticking with music on this okay. one. So mm-hmm. a power couple here, Tim McGraw or Faith Hill. Faith Hill's Mississippi, Tim McGraw's Louisiana. <laughs> While Linda's thinking, I have this is this is part of the show actually. Um, we we introduced a Tim McGraw song and tell the story of how he got his last name, and then I introduced him as Mr. Faith Hill. 
So <laughs> we give a lot of credit to to both of them. I, I I'm trying to give Mississippi a vote here, but I, I got to go with um, I got to go with Tim McGraw because he's just there's so many beautiful songs and great songs. I, I, I can't I can't ignore that. But I, I really one of my favorite songs is that Kiss by um, by Faith Hill. So um, I got to recognize that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do a lot of duets too, and so in a lot of ways that they yeah. uh, the time. Okay, Kelly. All right, um, heading back to food, favorite dessert, bread pudding or mud pie? That's my Mississippi vote, mud pie. <laughs> okay, there you, there you go, you got one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna have to go with bread pudding, especially if it's got a, like, um, a good sauce with it, you know, like a good caramel sauce or... Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like a good kicked up bread pudding with things in it, like pralines. <laughs> you know? pralines. Like, like, like gumbo, that there really is a difference in it from place to place. Yeah. Just, you know, I would say this, I've had some outstanding bread puddings in Mississippi as well. So <laughs> I feel like that my vote can sort of straddle both states with that. Well, I have not had this mud pie, but I know it's very favorite. Is that like a chocolate kind of pie? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So good, Errol. We'll have to get you some mud pie. Okay. Good. <laughs> They're both good. They're both very mm -hmm. delicious. <laughs> and that was it. Y'all, I think y'all passed. I think y'all did. Okay. <laughs> well, no, um, I know Jay, y'all did a segment with James Garfield. I mean, who's like a, a one-man quote machine uh, right there about talking about culture and politics. What was some of the feeling you got out of that? We got some great... Uh, some great snippets and uh, James talking about uh, Irma Thomas, for example, was one. Uh, we, talk, we talked about his, um, his uh, evaluation, if you will, of Edwin Edwards and the comparison between Edwin Edwards and Bill Clinton for whom James worked. Um, and James touched on a lot of topics, not just politics. We had a long visit with him and were able to lift some particular observations in a lot of different areas, not just in the era area about politics. And, and this show is not divided in such a way that we would say, okay, here's the political moment. It's politics is, is woven throughout the, st the story. We talk about Cajun politics in an hour where we talk about the Cajun population. We talk about um, African-American politicians. And we talk about, obviously, the, the Longs and Jimmy Davis and Edwin Edwards. And so you get that throughout the show, not just in one little, here's the political slot. Uh, I was just kind of thinking of a uh, what a conversation would be like between James Carville and John Kennedy, okay? Because both of them, it's just like uh, you know, one quotable line after um, after the other. You wouldn't need a moderator; you just let them have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, just let it go. Um, and uh, and I actually, Errol, I'll throw in a little uh, tidbit there. We we filmed that conversation between, uh, this was actually an interview that was done with both Jay and James Carville on camera. And we filmed at the um, Hilton in downtown Baton Rouge and in the tunnel that Huey Long used to secretly go between two hotels back in the day. So they, they fixed up that room. It was really a beautiful setting and it was, uh, it was a really apt, backdrop for the conversation that they were having. Right. You know, I'm thinking that when, uh, right after Clinton was elected president, the, um, 
it was a big deal about James Carville, a guy from Louisiana and all this. And so I actually did an interview with Carville. And through that, he gave me his mother's phone number. So I called her too. And, uh, and she talked about cooking and, and you know, she was really proud and all this. And I asked her, I says, what if Jim would bring Bill Clinton home? What would you fix for dinner? And she paused and she said, I call his mom and ask him what he likes. <laughs> and I think, oh, uh, which is a great mom quote. Uh, anything else? Right. Okay, this is interesting. The JFK connection, and we know there's all kind of mm -hmm. theories out there. Uh, which way did that go? Linda? Yeah, you know, this was uh, the JFK connection. We, we set up an interview with Richard Lipsy and um, this was this was to me really one of the highlights of Richard Lipsy is. Yeah, Jay, why don't you explain who Richard is? Richard Lipsy is um, used to run Steinberg Sporting Center in Baton Rouge, which was a, originally a fur distributor that evolved into a sporting goods place and a hunting and fishing and outdoors place down by the river. Um, he now is the largest wholesale firearms dealer in America. Um, the company is run by his daughter now, uh, but the backdrop, and I'll let Linda pick it up here, in, in the early 1960s, he was in the United States Army, and he was assigned to the Washington Military District uh, in the early 1960s, and Linda, you can pick it up from here. Yeah, so he ended up um, in Washington as an aide to a general um, who was in charge of all of the uh, social events and the um, hosting all of the dignitaries that came into uh, to President Kennedy's office. So he was on a first name basis with with John F. Kennedy, which is amazing. And he was a very young man at the time. Um, and we interview him about his experience um, during the assassination. He was the only person in the room with John F. Kennedy's body, um, aside from the medical doctors who were doing the autopsies. So he was there to guard the body. He observed the whole thing. Um, and I basically, I, I actually conducted this interview myself. Um, and, and really for historical purposes for LPB, I, I interviewed him so long that we ran out of uh, the cards. <laughs> I turned around to my camera crew and they were like, you've used up all your time. Um, but I really thought it was important because this, you know, he, he has this, this incredibly unique um, view of President Kennedy's assassination. It's just, it's an amazing story. So I really walked him through step-by-step step where were you when you got the phone call uh, that the president had been assassinated? And there are far more details than can make it into this show alone because it was it's really a bit of a tangent, but we felt like it was one well worth taking. But he talks about uh, rushing to the White House. And um, you know, one of the details that I just went crazy over is that they, you know, this was back in the in the 60s, right? So they had phones in the car. <laughs> And one of them was a red phone, you know, and so they pick up the red phone and that's what you call the White House with um, and and get this news. So they rushed there and we just, we walked through the whole, um, not just what happened, but sort of emotionally what that was like for him as a person who had never even seen a dead body and 
the first dead body he saw was the president of the United States. So uh, it's a fascinating story and one that I, I hope we do more with at LPB at, at some point in the future. And then of course, Louisiana really got caught up in the story once it was determined that Lee Oswald, uh, you know, lived in New Orleans. And then, and then when the whole Jim Garrison started and then, and then, the, and the alleged, well, the suggested suggestion, I don't know if it's true, with, with, with Carlos Marcelo. So we became more part of the story than we might have, uh, uh, we might have wanted, you know. I'm a, well, Errol, you, you've obviously read the script then because you've talked exactly about what we talk about in the show. Um, and one of the things we realized, um, the, the show we decided kind of early on, make it a four hour show, we have enough information, we probably could have done a five and perhaps sixth hour of stuff that we could not put in there. And one of the areas that we had to cut in just the interest of time was a little more elaborate discussion about what you just mentioned, those post-assassination conspiracy theories that still are active and bubbling today about Oswald, who was a New Orleans native, by the way, um, passing out Castro leaflets before the assassination and the garrison trial and the, the attempts to connect so much to New Orleans and the, and the allegations about the mafia being involved in the assassination with Sam Trificanti and, and Carlos Marcello as the, the big bosses who made it happen. Those are stories unto themselves that we just didn't have adequate time to delve into. You know, Jack Ruby messed it all up. You know, if he had to go in and kill Oswald, there might have been a time at some point to sit down with Oswald and to get the truth out of it and all that, you know. But, but once that happened, and of course that in itself seemed, uh, seemed mysterious, you know. And it's part of a, a big, big part of all the ongoing conspiracy yeah. theories was... If, if sure. again, a few years ago, I was in, uh, in Dallas, and of course in Dallas, I mean, it's something you want to see. You, uh, you might not be proud of it, but it's something you want to see. And so we found a guy who did kind of like a private tour of, uh, of the whole assassination where everything was. And we went into the, the Texas Book Depository and we went into the room, the sixth floor room. And there's actually a, a, like a, a marker where Oswald's rifle was. Hmm. The point on the street, there's an X and so you can see. Right. We actually stood at that spot where his rifle was, where the X was. And the thing that surprised me is that it wasn't that far of a shot. Okay, I mean, people think of, man, this guy, you know, it feels like a really long distance shot that he made, uh, uh, you know, but it was only six floors up, you know, I mean, it's, it's not that far. I don't know what that means or anything, uh, but it wasn't the tricky shot that people thought it was, but anyway. Um, Richard, Richard, Lipsy, Rich, Richard Lipsy describes it as being 50 to 60 yards away. Yeah. You know, he said in the interview, and I, I didn't mention, Linda, I don't even think I mentioned this to you, another little angle, one of my journalism professors at LSU was a guy named Jim Featherston. He was the reporter for the Dallas Times Herald at the time of the assassination. He won a Pulitzer Prize for his coverage, his next day coverage of the assassination. Oh, uh, wow. Claim to fame. And he, he talked about that some during our class. And um, another really interesting connection, kind of an arbitrary coincidental connection with uh, Louisiana and, and the assassination. Oh. Um. Yeah, it's too bad Louisiana got too involved, but but for the for the assassin that actually come from New Orleans, that was a, a an unusual twist. So anyway, uh, you also did something about the Atchafalaya Swamp, and this was a uh, guy you talked to was Troy Landry. Is this the guy who's uh, president of um, Saint Landry Parish? Or <laughs> no, no, this is the uh, guy who was on Swamp People. 
Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that must have been something. Yeah, he's a. Uh, we I work with him a lot when I was lieutenant governor. We're kind of buddies, and, and he was real excited to be a part of the show. And uh, you'll see him actually hunting an alligator with his grandsons on the boat. Mm -hmm. And he, of course, gives a, a beautiful description of um, of Cajun life and, and his perspective on the land loss in Louisiana and the, the challenges facing Louisiana from an ecological standpoint. Uh, but he's just a lot of fun. Very colorful, very distinctive Cajun voice. Well, I remember going to some, some festival, I think around Lafayette or something, and this is when the show was at the peak of his popularity. And there were t-shirts and caps, kind of quoting, when he was saying, shoot them, the way it comes out is like, chew them, okay? Right. Uh, and so quoting him, and so that was a very, uh, very popular. Well, and also, you, you remind me when you say that, and we'll probably get into this, but there's a coffee table book that accompanies uh, this documentary that's going to be available. And one of the pictures in the book is of Troy, and, and, mm -hmm. the and I wrote the captions. I wrote the, all the captions to the book, and, mm -hmm. and I kept having to correct the editor who would change my spelling of shoot them mm -hmm. from C-H-O-O-T to S-H-O-O-T. I said, no, no, it's C-H-O-O-T. That's the way he says it, shoot them. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, when I mentioned it, the, I forget the, the president of St. Landry Parish, the reason comes to mind, his name's like that. Um, but he's a, uh, and also like the Mardi Gras riders. Uh, he has his own group. He's the, career a, de, the career de Mardi Gras. Yeah, the, the career, which itself is a. It's in the show. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but I think that comes from a different strain than the New Orleans Mardi Gras because there was an old European tradition, what's called the visitation tradition, where people, and this was like peasants, they go to, uh, they go to castles and, and on certain days they go and symbolically beg for things, beg for items and then, and then make a soup out of it. That's and I, right. That tradition came over to Louisiana independently of uh, what was in New Orleans, which I think had different roots, but they just kind of blended together. It's an inverse of the Mardi Gras concept where the hoi polloi throw gifts and goodies and trinkets out to the assembled masses in the concept of New Orleans Mardi Gras as we know it. And the career was, as you say, you go beg for the chickens and the stuff to put into the, to the gumbo. And then at the end of the, the day, you make the gumbo and you share it with everybody. If y'all had to, if y'all watching the show, I know you're not going to answer this, but anyway, and you're given a remote and they say, look, you only got like 10 minutes, okay? Fast forward the one part that you recommend people. What's your favorite part of the show? I know you love it all. Okay. What's your favorite part of the show? I'd say the Napoleon skit. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the, I think, I think that's the most funny and clever part of it. Um, I, I don't, I don't, otherwise there's, there's so much of it. I mean, I like, I'm a big sports guy and we probably have a disproportionate amount of sports in the four hours because of me, because that's what I do in the presentation. I talk about the, again, the, one of the under, underlying themes of the whole show is Louisiana's disproportionate contribution given our size to Americana in sports and in arts and in music and in culture and sports, you know, between baseball, basketball and football there's just an, a really interesting heavy layer of Louisiana natives who have impacted these sports at a collegiate and professional level. And we talk a lot about that. Yeah. I think for me, the comedic skits, um, the, the historical, the Napoleon that Jay mentioned and uh, several others that we did are 
Um, I just think they're unexpected. They were really fun to film. They were like doing mini films. I mean, it was, it, these, these were really big productions to pull these off. Um, and I think for me as a producer, that was some of the most fun content because it was just a chance to do something completely different. And, and there's, an there's an intended educational component yeah. to what we did because we, um, this is gonna, but these sketch, sketches in particular that give you a different perspective on some Louisiana historical events are gonna be very memorable yeah. the way in which they're presented. And so they're gonna help young people at K-12 uh, students to understand a little more about Louisiana history. And we're gonna be working with Bessie and working with some of our underwriters who are very in interested in having an educational component to what we're doing. So that'll be a, a legacy that'll continue after the show uh, airs on television. Yeah, just a funny little story. My um, my daughter is in the eighth grade, and uh, this is a true story. I came home from filming the recreations one day, and we were just chatting, and I said, how was your day? She said it was good. She said I was learning about LaSalle at school in history class, and I looked at her, and I said, well, that's really funny, because I was shooting a recreation about mm -hmm. LaSalle today. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're really looking forward to these historical parts of it being used in the classroom um, that I think is such a way that it will really help people. It'll stick in their minds in a different way than it does. Um, I think the humor will really uh, drive the stories home. Well, the, the, the nature of podcasts that people can be listening to them anytime in the future throughout the year. So tell us if people want to access this, uh, this show, how, how would they be able to do it? In addition to the original broadcast, Yes, so the original broadcast, of course, is December 11th and 12th at 7 p.m. It's two hours both nights. Um, after that, it is going to go, it will be available on the Passport, um, which is like PBS's version of Netflix, if you will. So um, for our members who have Passport memberships, they will be able to watch the entire program. Um, and then down the road in the future, we will be releasing it on our website and then potentially on YouTube, but that's going to be more in the future. And people can also buy a DVD of the show, right? Yes, in this is true. Yes. In connection yep. with the live telecom broadcast. Yes. So if they want to do that, could they, what, what they access your website from there? Yes. Okay. Yes. So this is, you know, we are we are releasing this during pledge, and so it's a chance for people to support the programming that LPB does and support, you know, things like this that are are educational and, um, you know, support the state. And uh, LPB is the state storyteller, and um, so this is an opportunity for people to become members, and um, as part of that, then they get access to the program. Yeah, if people don't understand exactly LPB is this is like the statewide public television network. And so you have outlets in every city and then in New Orleans, it's kind of like a different arrangement. But I know WYS New Orleans is going to be carrying this also. So it's going to be blanketed across the uh, um, across the states. And well, congratulations. I hope you all can keep on doing this kind of stuff. It really sounds important. Um, so what do you all, all really think of Mississippi? <laughs> I love Mississippi and, and Mississippi obviously has a lot of rich history like we do too in some of the same areas that, that we boast about but um, they don't have the cultural mix that we have nobody does and so therefore Mississippi like Arkansas and like Georgia and other southern states 
largely populated by white Anglo-Saxon Protestants and African-Americans and Louisiana populated by white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, large numbers of African-Americans and a little bit of everything else, the Cajuns and the Creoles and the French and the Spanish who, who call Louisiana home dating back centuries, but don't call these other states home. Well, now that you talk about the mix, if you don't mind me asking you, you're Jewish, aren't you? So what yes. is the, what has the experience in Louisiana been to the Jewish community? It's been very a very good experience. We talk about this in the show as well as one of the, the added ingredients to the gumbo, some of these uh, smaller population groups in Louisiana. But the experience overall in the South, in particular Louisiana, has been, been very positive. Uh, Richard Lipsy and I had this conversation. We didn't feel that we just, we we suffered any real discrimination growing up, him being a little bit older than I am. Um, but the Jewish community has made profound contributions to the state in a variety of areas, and not the least of which is philanthropically in New Orleans. And we talk about this in the, uh, in, in the show, that the names that are so familiar in New Orleans, um, like Waldenberg and Newman and Delgado, Zamuri are all Jewish families that, that made a huge philanthropic contribution Laurel, to the city. Tulane and all, yeah, all yeah, yeah, Turo, that's right. Which is, if anybody hasn't visited yet the uh, the museum in New Orleans of, uh, of Southern Jewish culture, uh, you should. I mean, it's, it's really quite the learning experience. It is. And then it's right down the block from the World War II Museum, so you can spend a whole day just uh, visiting two great museums. And the Ogden Museum of uh, Art as well, right in that uh, same museum. Yeah, uh, uh, it's right there. So, well, thank you very much for doing this. Hope you all keep on doing stuff. And so... Yeah, I'm looking forward to see it. So anyway, we're going to go up with a song really as impossible to keep still to. and has a really rollicking uh, fiddle solo, solo, Louisiana Saturday Night. Thank you all. All right, thank Thanks. you. And you get down the fiddle and you get down the bow. Kick off your shoes and you throw them on the floor. Dance in the kitchen till the morning light. Louisiana Saturday Night. Waiting in the front yard, sitting on a log, a single shot rifle and a one-eyed dog. Yonder come our kinfolk in the moonlight, Louisiana Saturday night. Well, you get down the fiddle and you get down the bow, kick off your shoes and you throw them in the floor. Dance in the kitchen till the morning light, Louisiana Saturday night. Thanks for listening to Louisiana Insider. Subscribe, like, and rate our show where you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Louisiana Life Mag. Executive producer for Louisiana Insider is Kelly Massico in cooperation with Louisiana Life Magazine. For subscription information to Louisiana Life, call 504-828-1380. Our theme music was provided by Rich Collins. Hey, that's me. Join us again next week for more discoveries inside Louisiana.